If you want to know what Sherwood is about, you just heard it right there. We're about Jesus. Amen? Wow. We have spent the last four weeks discussing trials out of James chapter 1. And my prayer has been that God would use those messages in order to help believers to joyfully and faithfully walk with God in the midst of difficulty. And we've approached the subject of trials from multiple different angles. We talked about how we should think in the trials and what's being tested by the trials and what's the purpose of the trials and why should we keep going through the trials. And if in the last couple of weeks, if the amount of calls and text and messages and conversations before and after service are any indicator of where people are, I think those messages hit at the right time. Seems like a lot of people have been walking through trials. And it's good. It is wonderful whenever God's word is aligning with what you're walking through. Uh, but there's another part of that. And that is there's only so many Sundays that we can be up to our eyeballs and trial-related messages before I got to come up for air. You know what I'm talking about? I, I mean, there, it's important. I, I recognize everybody goes through trials. I recognize it is good to show how Scripture is relevant to what we walk through. I get that. I'm on board 100%. But also, I think that for those people who they have been in that problem, they have been living it 24-7, sometimes for weeks, sometimes for months, sometimes for years, it is also good to not think about that trial for a few moments. In fact, I call that a divine distraction. It's whenever God stops you in the middle of what you're going through long enough to distract you and take your eyes off of what you're seeing, the problems before you, and raise your eyes up to something that is better and something that is beautiful and something that is glorious and something that is worthy of praise. Amen. So here's a seemingly random, but I promise it is a related story. Uh, Bree and I know of this granddad in North Carolina who loved to tell his grandkids ghost stories around a fire whenever they were really, really young. And as you might imagine that, you know, scaring your five to 10 year old grandkids, it can bring a lot of joy later on in life. There's no question about that. But there's only so much they could handle. So after they got really scared along the way, his grandkids would say, tell us a Jesus story. Tell us a Jesus story, which is really kind of awesome. Even little kids recognize that when Jesus is brought up in a conversation, it changes everything. Things go from fear to peace when he's in the conversation. And personal regrets can be turned into principles of wisdom for others. When he takes over that conversation, discouragement is met with hope. All of this happens in the name of Christ. So here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to tell Jesus stories today. In fact, we're going to see how many times, how many ways, how many songs, and how many verses we can point people towards Jesus before we finish today. But we're going to focus on him. We're going to look at his power and his promises and his person. We're going to see why Jesus is worthy of all praise and why even the mention of his name 
causes demons to tremble. We're going to tell Jesus stories this morning. So here's what's already happened. We have already praised Jesus in worship. We're about to point all eyes towards Jesus in the word. And at the end of this, we're going to bring the choir back up and we're going to worship Jesus on our way out. It, it, by the way, if you don't like the name of Jesus, you picked the wrong Sunday to show up at Sherwood. It's going to be Jesus all the time. That being said, I've got several passages I want to read to you this morning. The first of those is going to be over in Acts chapter 4, verse 12. These are in the top of your notes. I'm speaking this morning on the subject above every name, above every name. So here's what it says, Acts chapter 4, verse 12. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Philippians 2, 9 through 11. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And here is Luke chapter 6, second part of verse 45. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, oh, may all of our eyes be pointed towards Jesus this morning. Lord, may your spirit guide us through the word, God, may your spirit personalize the message for every single person who is listening, for those who are in the room. Lord, may we walk away today with greater faith and greater focus on Jesus than we've ever had in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Several months ago, I shared a series entitled Jesus on Prayer. And one of the messages that I brought up was authoritative prayer. And we actually discussed the name of Jesus in our prayers. And one of the passages we dug into was Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Very relevant for that message and also very relevant for today. So I'm not going to go back and re-preach that same message, but I do want to take just a moment and we're going to pull a couple of those pieces back into this particular conversation. So Acts chapter 4, verse 12 is the culmination of an incredible Jesus story. Uh, Peter and John, they were going to the temple for prayer, and right outside the temple gates, they are met with a beggar. This is a guy who had been crippled since birth, and he was asking people for money. So he asked the disciples, Peter and John, if they would give him some money. And here's Peter's reply that he gave to the man. He says, I do not possess silver or gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, walk. Very next verse. By the way, don't you love it when God does it? Very next verse. Verses 7 through 9. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. When he leapt, he stood upright and began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Now afterwards, the temple guards and the religious leaders, they were upset because Peter and John 
mentioned Jesus' name and taught about the resurrection of Jesus. So they arrest them. They put them in jail. The very next day, they are brought before this religious court. And the religious court had one question to ask. By what power or in what name have you done this? And by the way, uh, Peter, in his reply, he had never heard of a concept of a message like, I'm okay, you're okay. He brought the heat. Listen to what his reply was. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands before you in good health. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Peter repeatedly claimed that the healing, the power, the authority of that miracle came back to the name of Jesus. Jesus makes that same connection between authoritative prayer and his name all the way through the book of John. He says in John 14, 13 and 14, Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. John 15, 16, whatever you ask the Father in my name, may he give to you. John chapter 16, verses 23 and 24. If you ask the Father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be made full. The very mention of Jesus' name changes things. Please hear that again. The very mention of Jesus' name changes things. In this story, there is healing in the name of Jesus. There's power in the name of Jesus. There is authority in the name of Jesus. From the beggar's perspective, there's hope now in the name of Jesus. There's joy in the name of Jesus. There is a future. There is life. There's a new start all in the name of Jesus. Jesus changes everything. But let's go to the other side. From the perspective of the temple guards and the religious leaders, the mention of his name also changes things. But listen, Jesus' name for them brought concern, brought fear, brought unsettledness. Here's a good word. When your agenda does not align with God's agenda, the name of Jesus is not welcome. That's part of the reason why you can talk about God in a very general sense, and people are usually okay with that. But when you mention Jesus by name, people lose their minds. Thank him in an acceptance speech. Conclude a prayer in Jesus' name. Testify that it's Jesus who got you through, and tension automatically begins to develop. You find that the very mention of his name, it creates division, it defines worldviews, it draws the proverbial line in the sand. When you drop his name in a conversation, it's either going to blow it up or bring it home. Drop it anyway. There's power in the name of Jesus. And listen, don't be upset by how people respond to the name of Jesus. It's understandable. For people who seriously 
thoughtfully, rationally, intellectually consider, deeply consider the claims of Jesus Christ, there is no neutral position on Jesus. He is the central figure in history. Our calendar system is based upon his birth. He's a big deal. When someone's birth splits time, it's a big deal. Whenever he rises from the dead, just like he said, it's a big deal. Whenever his teachings are so legendary that the governing documents of nations are based on those principles, when world leaders quote Jesus in their speeches, when the core premises of ethics and morality are based upon his influence, when the largest group in the world claims to be followers of Christ and they are comprised of every nation, tribe, and tongue. Let me tell you, there's power in the name of Jesus. We don't need to hide that. Listen, you can tell a lot about a person, a political group, a company, a charity, even a denomination on how they respond when Jesus' name is mentioned. Is he welcomed or is he rejected? Is he received or is he ridiculed? Where he's not welcome, we have cause for concern. Because ultimately, our allegiance is to him. It's not to a church, it's not to a denomination, it's not to a political party. Our allegiance is to Jesus Christ and him alone. Philippians 2, 9 through 11, it picks up the significance and the power of Jesus' name. It says, for this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow. Of those who are in heaven... And on earth and under the earth, that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Oh, get this. God the Father highly exalted Jesus. He has been given the name that is above every name. Please notice, not a name, the name. He is not one among many. He is not even a leader among peers. Jesus is highly exalted above everyone and everything. This word exalted is comprised of two words, ex meaning out, alt meaning up. So here's why that's important. To exalt Jesus means he is brought out from everyone and everything. And he is lifted up as preeminent above all. Uh, preeminence, it speaks of his surpassing and superior nature. It, it's the fact that he is above all others. He is highest in station, in rank, in prominence. It's Jesus. He is highly exalted according to this text. It says God the Father who has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. Let, let's pause there for just a moment. Why is there such emphasis being placed on the name of Jesus throughout the New Testament? Why the name? The name itself, Jesus, it means Yahweh saves or Yahweh is salvation. It speaks of Jesus as that, the one who would rescue and deliver and the one who would save. So there is absolute significance and meaning within the name Jesus. But the meaning goes further than the definition. 
The name represents Jesus' nature, his character, even his presence. To ask in Jesus' name means you're representing Jesus in that situation. You are acting as Jesus would act. You are responding according to his desires. You are operating under the authority that Jesus has. Listen closely. You don't have to curse or blaspheme to take the name of the Lord in vain. Listen carefully. It also happens when we invoke his name in a way that does not represent his nature, his character, or his desires. To invoke his name in prayer, it means we're coming under his authority. We are representing his interest, his kingdom, his agenda within that moment. To bring up his name is to say, Jesus is welcome in this moment. He is Lord over this situation. It is his interest and his agenda that is our concern. And since he is sovereign over all, then everything, including myself, is submitted before him. That's why the name of Jesus is so powerful in spiritual warfare. That's why even demons tremble because they are in submission to the lordship of Jesus Christ. That's why, oh, get this, some of our most Jesus-centric, simple, yet profound and powerful prayers come whenever we run out of words to pray. When we're, when we're finished saying everything that sounds spiritual and nothing's happened, and all of a sudden all you're left with is, Jesus, they're yours. Jesus, you can. Jesus, I believe. Jesus, you're enough. When Jesus is all we have, listen, we're at a place he's all we need. It's him. It's Jesus to speak the name of Jesus, to pray in the name of Jesus, to testify the goodness of Jesus, to bless others in the name of Jesus, to fight spiritual battles in the name of Jesus, to reclaim surrendered ground in the name of Jesus. All of that is basically saying, I'm recognizing Jesus as my ultimate authority. I submit everything before him as Lord. There is no one greater. Jesus is enough. Now bring all of that now into Luke 6, 45. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Whatever you're excited about, you talk about. And whatever you repeatedly put in, you're going to be full of. So if we repeatedly put in the things of the world, we're going to talk about the things of the world because we're full of the things of the world. If we repeatedly put in the things of God, we're going to talk about the things of God because we're full of the things of God. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Okay, here's how it's coming back to where we're at right now. For Jesus to be the first word that comes out of our mouth, he has to be the greatest desire of our hearts. Life, challenges, trials, all of those different things begin to expose pieces in our life we treasure beyond him. For him to be the first word out, he has to be the greatest desire of our hearts. 
So here's what I want to encourage you to do. Pursue him. Spend time with him. Love him with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul, all of your strength. Speak his name often. Testify of his goodness often. All of that leads to our big truth for this morning. Here it is. Tell your Jesus stories. He deserves the glory. The world needs the hope. And the enemy hates the attention. I'm going to say that again. Tell your Jesus stories. He deserves the glory. The world needs the hope. And the enemy hates the attention. Now, why do we not tell our Jesus stories? I'm going to give you three reasons. Uh, one of those is sometimes we don't tell our Jesus stories because we're embarrassed. We don't know what people are going to say when we drop Jesus in the conversation. We saw how they just harassed and ridiculed and ostracized the last coworker who mentioned Jesus. And we're like, I don't know if I'm ready for that. But if you read what it says in Matthew 10, Jesus speaks the importance of confessing and not denying him before others. Speak his name. Sometimes we don't tell our Jesus stories because he's not our greatest desire. Our mouth doesn't speak Jesus because our heart is not full of Jesus. Pursue him. Get to know him. Also, sometimes we don't tell our Jesus stories because we feel like we've messed everything up and we can't see what God's doing. We, we don't share the story because we don't even know that there's a story to share. Probably one of the greatest examples is a story of a man by the name of Edward Kimball. I want to encourage you, write Edward Kimball's name down. K-I-M-B-A-L-L, Edward Kimball. I'm going to show you in a moment why his story impacts your story. So Edward was burdened for his Sunday school class. He wanted all of those who were in his class to come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. But he found that there was one teenager in the group that was a handful. Every time he was awake, he was causing problems. And when he wasn't causing problems, he was asleep in class causing distractions. This young man was Dwight Moody. So he began to pray specifically for Dwight. And one day, just a burden came over him. He needed to go where Dwight was. Showed up at where Dwight was working, shared the gospel, felt like he fumbled his way through the entire gospel presentation. He felt like he wasn't able to say what he wanted to say. He didn't think that Dwight was actually listening. Finally, in desperation, he kind of finishes all up. He put his hand on Dwight's shoulder, and he just said, Dwight, will you come to Christ? That's all they could say. They talked for a few more moments, and Edward Kimball left thinking that everything had just fallen apart. But God got all over Moody, saved Moody. And for those of you who know, Moody became the most well-known evangelist of his time. June the 17th, 1873, Moody arrived in England for a series of crusades. He happened to go to a Baptist church pastored by a scholarly man by the name of F.B. Meyer. F.B. Meyer disdained Moody. 
He was upset with Moody. He was a man of scholarship. He was a man of academia. He referred to Moody's preaching as unlettered preaching, meaning that it's almost uneducated. It was poorly designed, almost the ramblings of an illiterate pastor. He didn't like Moody. But when he heard him preach, the power of God fell in the service, and God got all over F.B. Meyer, gave him a passion for and a love for Moody. So upon Moody's invitation, Meyer came and he toured America with him. At the Northfield Bible Conference, Meyer challenged the crowd by saying, if you're not willing to give everything up for Christ, are you willing to be made willing? And that statement gripped the heart of a young struggling pastor who was in the group. His name was J. Wilbur Chapman. He was not willing. But he reluctantly prayed, God, would you make me willing? And by the way, God will meet you in those prayers. He honored that. God transformed his life, transformed his ministry. Chapman eventually became one of the most gifted and used evangelists of the early 1900s. It was through the providence of God he recruited and then discipled a recently converted baseball player by the name of Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday, as many of you know, became one of the most blessed evangelists in American history. In one of his campaigns where he was preaching in Charlotte, North Carolina, it produced a group of prayer warriors who bombarded heaven constantly. This group was unrelenting. They kept asking God, would you put a fresh outpouring of your spirit here? And they kept going to God and going to God and praying, God, would you do it again? Would you do it again? And in 1934, that group of prayer warriors invited an evangelist by the name of Mordecai Ham to conduct a citywide crusade. The power of God fell in that crusade. And a young guy by the name of Billy Graham got saved. Billy Graham's ministry has influenced the world. There's hundreds of millions of people that have heard the gospel because of the ministry of Billy Graham. There's millions who have come to faith in Christ because of Billy Graham. In fact, I guarantee you, there's people in this room right now that came to Christ at a Billy Graham crusade, came to Christ because they were watching one of his programs on television. His impact you could keep tracing the story down of those that have been impacted by Billy Graham. But let's go back one notch from there. This last week, as I was sending my stuff off, Stephanie gets all of my pieces. She sends it off, and she said, i got to tell you a story. And she shared another part of this story. So here's what I want you to know. J. Wilbur Chapman was also instrumental in the formative years of another young pastor. This young guy was called at the age of 12 to the gospel ministry. He's given a pocket New Testament by Chapman. Guess what his name was? Are you ready? It's Vance Havner. Vance Havner being a close mentor and friend of Michael Katz. By the way, the gospel was never intended to stay with one person. It will transform family after family, generation after generation, person after person. The impact of this story affects all of us today. Here's the reason I bring all of that up. 
Everything that I just mentioned can be traced back to Edward Kimball, a Sunday school teacher who was burdened for his kids that they might come to know Jesus. He was burdened to the point he got off of his seat, goes down to a young man's place of work, shares the gospel, felt like a failure, stumbled over his words, but here it is. The gospel is not about the person who brings it. It's about the power of God. God uses the gospel. If God can speak through a donkey in the Old Testament, if when we don't praise him, the rocks will cry out, don't tell me he can't use your story. Here's the thing. God uses those stories along the way. When he left that moment, he felt like he was a failure. Oh, but listen. When Jesus is at the center of the story, he can do abundantly beyond all we could ask or think. God wants to use you. He wants to use your story. He wants, he wants you to share with others of what you have seen, what you have heard, and what you have personally experienced as you've walked with Jesus. Somebody might say, Paul, I don't know where my story's going. That's okay. Neither did this guy. We don't have to know where the story's going 10 years down the road. Tell people what Jesus has done in your life today. Point towards Christ today. Maybe the only thing that we could say is this. Here's what Jesus has done for me. And it's enough. So here's your big truth again, and we're going to come out of this into a time of worship. Tell your Jesus stories. He deserves the glory. The world needs the hope. And the enemy hates the attention. So as we finish... I'm going to read scripture over you all. All of these passages point towards the matchless name of Jesus. I got them in your notes, I believe, as well. Listen to what it says, Luke 10, 17. The 72 return with joy, saying, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Isaiah 9, 6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders and his name will be called wonderful counselor mighty god everlasting father prince of peace romans 10:13 for everyone who calls on the name of the lord will be saved proverbs 18:10 the name of the lord is a strong tower the righteous run to it and are safe john 14:14 14, 14, if you ask me anything in my name i will do it revelation 19 verse 16 on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Colossians 3.17, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. James 5.14, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And all oh, get you some of this. Malachi chapter 1, verse 11. From the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering, for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. If no one ever knows our name, that's okay. If no one ever knows about Sherwood, that's okay. But if the world knows about Jesus, 
That's what it's all about. We're going to worship our way back out of this. I'm going to ask you if you would bow your heads as the choir is coming back, bands coming back into place. We're going to open up a time of invitation. This time of invitation, there's going to be pastors who are down at the front. Some of their wives are going to be with them. I believe without a doubt this morning, there's people in this room who have been running from God, and today God's saying, stop running and come to me. I believe there's going to be people in the room right now. You've been dealing with addictions for a long time, and you keep trying to solve it yourself. There's hope in the name of Jesus Christ. There's marriages right now in this room that unless Jesus intervenes, things are going to fall apart. Let today be the day God ministers life and healing and mercy over top of your, your family and your marriage. There's people right now that they're at the end of their rope they don't know what's going to happen. They don't know what the next step needs to be. All I can say is run to Jesus, run to Jesus, run to Jesus. We're going to have a word of prayer, and we're going to open up a time of invitation. Here's what's going to happen. The, offer, the altar is going to remain open all the way through. I'm going to let you respond as God is prompting you. But for some of you, right now, the greatest thing you can do is lift his name high in worship. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, God, we are so unbelievably dependent upon you that our very next breath is dependent upon you giving it to us. God, today may you work in the hearts of those that are weary. God, may you lift the chin of those who are depressed. Lord, may you heal marriages. May you save souls. May you free people of addictions today, God. The sins that have been packed down that we think no one knows about, Lord, you not only know, but you're there to forgive. God, may they be laid down today at an altar before you. Lord, we're asking that your spirit move in this place. Lord, we're praying over the churches in our city. We are praying that the gospel is transforming this community. We are praying, Lord, that believers would be strong in the Lord. God, we are praying that you would do something above and beyond what we could ask or imagine so that if anybody asks, all we could say is, it's Jesus, it's Jesus, it's Jesus. So, Lord, may you be glorified in this place. May your spirit move freely in Jesus' holy, matchless, powerful, anointed name we pray. Amen and amen.